0: Well, praise the Lord, saints. So glad you joined us here tonight. I'm excited about studying God's word. It's a blessing to be able to get into the word of God. Let's let's do this tonight. Let's bow our heads and pray. What a band. Our band is just always blessing us, and I'm so grateful to them for it. Uh, Sister Ariana is not only a great saxophone player, but as you can see, she's a wonderful vocalist, and uh, we're blessing God for her and what God is using her to do. Come on, pray with me tonight. God, we are grateful tonight for what you're doing, and we thank you for the anointing of the living God. Speak afresh to us tonight and grant that we'll hear you. And we give your name the praise, the glory, and the honor for what you're about to do tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I've been working with you, and we've been talking and thinking through what happens to be an interesting topic, Genesis chapter 25. And uh, tonight I want to deal with the end of that, uh, the wonderful story there. There's a lot there to read, and I do recommend you go back and put forth some effort to do some reading. But let me just read a few verses there to introduce this idea tonight, and let's uh, look at it. Beginning at verse uh, 22. Well, verse 21, verse 21 of Genesis chapter 25, and I'm going to be reading in uh, the amplified version, which is very helpful. Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was unable to conceive children, and the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived twins. But the children struggled together within her, kicking and shoving one another, and she said, if it is so that the Lord has heard our prayer, why then am I, am I this way? So she went to inquire of the Lord, praying. So she went to inquire of the Lord, praying for an answer. The Lord said to her, the founders of two nations are in your womb, and the separation of two nations has begun in your body. The one people shall be stronger than the other and the older shall serve the younger. When her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out reddish, all over like a hairy garment, and they named him Esau, hairy. Afterwards, his brother came out and his hand grasped Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob, one who grabs the heel, supplanter. Isaac was 60 uh, years old. When Rebekah gave birth to them, when the boys grew up, Esau was able to and skilled hunter and a man of the outdoors, but Jacob was quiet and peaceful, a man living in tents. I want to talk tonight from the theme that we've been dealing with, living faith in stressful times, and this is part four. Living faith in stressful times. This is part four. For those of you who have your Bibles in front of you, keep them open because we're going to deal with the last portion of that. The earlier reading was to give you the background. I've come to recognize some things in my time, and one of the things that I've recognized is that everybody's not ready to deal with what life does to them, that sometimes life does stuff to us that we're really not ready to handle. Unfortunately, that's just the way of the world. We get into situations that we're unable to deal with. Life sometimes deals us difficulties. And if we're not emotionally capable or well enough, we will enter those difficulties unable to master them. The stress of life that hits us causes us to lose what it is that we should have had. And then all of a sudden, we're acting out of character because of stress. As you know, the series I'm working on is not based on trying to look at all the great scriptures of the Bible and those are the ones that are the cheerleading texts that lift us up. But I want to look at some of these texts like this one that are troublesome, This text is troublesome for a lot of reasons. It's troublesome because when you look at the text, you're looking at a family that is fully dysfunctional. Just like his father, Isaac suffers with a companion that is unable to give birth, a barren woman. Like his father, God intercedes for his wife and she is able to conceive. But unlike his father, he does something really strange in that he gets to the place where he chooses one child over the other, creating another stressful situation. And just like life would have it, his wife chooses the other child. It's difficult to understand, but simple at the same time. Sometimes. Parents play favorites. It's not fair, but it does happen. Sometimes parents pick out and they play favorites. They should not do it. It shouldn't happen, but it happens. And here these children are, growing up in a stressful environment, living in what is considered to be a difficult area of the world, and their parents are struggling with them. And they, from the womb, are struggling with each other, so much so in the womb, their struggle was going on there so deeply and in depthly that Rebecca didn't even feel like she could carry the children. What's going on inside of me? They warred in the womb, and the Bible decrees that she seeks God, seeks some witness as to what's going on. And she is reassured of divine favor for the delivery of these children, and that one would lead and rule over the other, a message of which jaded every action she made after that. But what I want to dwell on are not all of the writings here. Those theologians and biblical exegetes have taken and looked at this text, and they've picked it apart. As to which part was written by Yahweh, which part were written by by priestly writers and and how these things mix together and how this speaks to the battle of the Edomites or the Edomite subjugation to the children of Israel. I'm not going to that part yet. What I want to look at is what happened between these brothers and how they dealt with their lives and how they handled the stressors of their lives that we can sort of cherry pick from and maybe find out who we are and what we could do better. Okay, having said that, let me say this to you, really important, I think that neither brother had good emotional intelligence. I think that they weren't able to handle stress well, and so doing, they did things that they shouldn't have done, particularly what the, old, what the younger brother does. The first thing in my spirit is that you need to understand The Importance of Emotional Intelligence. There's a book out by Stephen J. Stein and Howard E. Book. It's called The EQ Edge, Emotional Intelligence and Your Success. In The EQ Edge, they deal with the fact that the more emotional intelligence one has, the better one is able to deal with life. And when one does not have good emotional intelligence, one does not deal so well with life. And so I wanna look at that, what I'm considering emotional intelligence or the lack thereof in their case, and the errors that are made that we might want to examine. You see, stress is all around. Even though we're in the middle of a pandemic and vaccines are being given every day, The president, President Biden, has a decree that he'd like to give a hundred million vaccinations. And God knows, I pray, that he's able to pull that off. In the midst of all of that, we are yet stressed on every hand. And, And let me look at what stress is. Stress is a feeling of emotional or physical tension. It can come from any event or thought that makes you frustrated, angry, or nervous. Yeah, it's the feelings. Sometimes those feelings get, get all messed up. Sometimes we get, we get jacked up, toe up from the flow up. Sometimes our feelings get messed up. And and the stress is really your body's reaction to a challenge or to a demand. Yeah. Some of you know what that looks like. That's that doubled over look. That's that look when you grab your head. That's that look when you don't know whether you want to cry, laugh or just run out the room. You know, in short bursts. According to MediLine Plus, uh, uh, they, they offer this in short bursts, stress can be positive, such as when it helps you avoid danger or meet a deadline. But stress can also be really negative. So, what does emotional intelligence have to do with stress? Emotional intelligence and stress help us to understand that if we get to a place emotionally that we can handle the stress. See, I'm not talking about just simply praying the stress away. I'm talking about how do I handle what I gotta handle? Almost all studies showed that a significant relationship between emotional intelligence and job stress. Now we're looking first and foremost at, at job stress, but but it works in all all quarters of our lives. If an individual's emotional intelligence increases, his or her ability to cope with stress increases as well. In other words, the more I strengthen my emotional intelligence, the better I am at handling the stress of my life. That's important to get. Because if the research is right, then those that have higher emotional intelligence experience less stress. Now, now that's according to the National Institutes of Health. That's not, that's not Stein. That's the National Institute of Health, which says those that have higher emotional intelligence experience less stress. It does not mean that the things that cause stress are less or the problems are less. They just don't experience it as stress. Their body doesn't interpret it as stress. Their mind doesn't interpret it as stress. There are things they have to deal with, stuff they have to go through, problems they have to solve, but they don't get all messed up over it. There are four basic components of emotional intelligence. Four, they're on the screen. You need to take them and learn from them. Self-awareness, that's being aware of who you are. How do you handle things? Self-management, how do you manage you? Not how do you manage others in a group, how do you manage yourself? Social awareness. What's going on around you? Unfortunately, there are people in the world that don't pick up on any social cues. You know, people could be (laughs) frowning or making faces and trying to say that's inappropriate in coy ways, but they have no sense of social awareness so they don't pick up on social cues. And then number four is relationship management. And that is simply... How do you manage the people that you are in contact with? How do we deal with those individuals? Now, it's important you get this because how I deal with my self-awareness, how I manage myself, how I am socially aware is going to help me Deal with the relationships that I'm in. Recognize this, Saints stress affects emotional intelligence. In other words, you could be a person that is real, self aware. Manages yourself real well. You pick up on all the social cues when you're out. You can schmooze with the best of them. You can talk. You have great relationship management until you get under pressure. And when you're stressed out, now all of a sudden all those skills go kaputs. You know, it's one thing if it's it's just the washing machine or if it's just the dryer. But if it's the washing machine and the dryer and now you got another problem fixed up there and you got this issue going on and somebody knocked down your mailbox and you got over here. Now, all of a sudden, you get all stressed out. You got to realize handling stress is important. Because not only does stress affect your emotional intelligence, when one is under stress. Emotional intelligence can be degraded to the point that missteps, mistakes, and mess are the outcome. That's right. You're under stress. Now, all of a sudden, you're making mistakes that you wouldn't normally make. You don't know why you made it, but you made it. What I need to recognize is, that I've got to learn how to deal with my stress. I got to deal with what I got to deal with. You know, bills are gonna be there, got to deal with them. Job issues gonna be there. Work on the job issues gonna be there. Work with people at the job issues will be there. Money shortages or even extra resources and people pulling on those resources and you. Family issues, loved ones getting sick, people going through crisis, people going through issues that whose issues affect you indirectly, those are part of the normal vicissitudes of life, each of which creates stress. Relationship problems at home, relate, future relationships you're looking to have the relationship you have and the relationship you don't have and the relationship you want to have and the relationship that you have that you wish you didn't have. Life is filled with stress factors. You see, when you're stressed, things you would normally value become valueless and you become vulnerable to deceit and doubt. Things you normally value become valueless and you become vulnerable to deceit and doubt. Recognize something, saints. You just got to get in your spirit that once you get under the gun, your decision making is not as smooth as it was when you weren't under the gun. You see, I tell you all the time, um, I watched Tiger Woods play golf, and I can tell you I've watched other golfers play. Some hit the ball even better than he can. The one difference between him and his prime and these younger players now is one simple thing, the ability to handle the stress of the moment so that an athlete who can actually make every golf shot when he's out there on Saturday morning, When she's out there with with her friends on Tuesday, they make every shot. But in the midst of the moment when there are thousands of people watching and the world is there and it's going to be a big thing if they win. Now, all of a sudden, their body gives way. They're making moves they normally wouldn't move because they can't deal with the stress. It shows up physically. Stress induced decisions are generally susceptible to mishaps that non that a non-stressful mind would make. when you're under stress the possibility of mishaps are greater. so I want to make sure that I get my mind, and I have myself ready to handle the stressors of my life. Okay, now we're, now we're ready to set. Now we're ready to set, go. Let's, let's spend the rest of our time looking at Esau and looking at what happens with his brother Jacob. Esau makes seven errors. Some of these are partially synonyms, but they make points to where we're going. Seven errors that ultimately cost him his most valuable possession, his birthright. The birthright, the blessing, the inheritance. They were twins in the same womb. One came out first, which meant that was the elder. The other, holding on to the heel of the first, came out second, which meant that he was the younger. In inheritance terms, the elder should inherit everything. The birthright, the blessing of the father. That blessing is both spiritual and natural. Recovering the natural stuff meant nothing. Recovering the spiritual stuff, that's what you really want to have. He makes seven mistakes that surrenders his birthright. Each of these are things we can learn from. Hopefully, they'll become meaningful ways to discern good decisions. Each of these are things we can learn from. Hopefully, we can use them when we're trying to make a decision. The first error, error number one, is the error of impatience. Impatience. Stress can cause you to be impatient about important matters, cause you to be impatient about important matters. Stress can cause you to be impatient about important matters. You got to understand, you get excited, you get upset, you get nervous, and now all of a sudden you lose your cool and you're ready to jump, you're ready to do something. You, 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 you've lost your calm, you've lost your peace, you ready to jump in, I gotta do this, I gotta do this, I gotta do this right away, I, got, I know I gotta do it right now, I can't wait, I can't wait, I can't wait, I can't wait. Pump the brakes, slow yourself down. Learn that impatience is a problem. Take your time. See, impatience is, the dictionary definition is, not patient, not accepting delay, Opposition, pain, etc., with calm. So, impatience is not accepting opposition, pain, and other things with calm. Sometimes delays are not denials. And you got to learn how to accept the delay and not lose your mind. Bishop, what are you talking about? Well, we have these two brothers born. The scriptures teach us. That one brother is more of a tender of sheep, more of a homebody, more of a tent dweller. The other brother is a hunter-gatherer. He's good going out to get the venison, bringing in food from the field. He's gone out to go hunting. He comes back from the hunting trip with nothing. Coming back, he goes to his brother's house. And here's what the text says. And now you see what I mean about impatient. I'm reading in the Amplified Version. Here it is. And Esau said to Jacob, please let me ha- have a quick swallow. A quick swallow of that red stuff because I am exhausted and famished. For that reason, Esau was also called Edom or Red. Let me have some of that red stuff. Let me have some of that red stew. Quick, quick, quick! I gotta get it. I gotta get it right now. And and, and I want you to use that in your mind as a metaphor for anything we desire. I gotta have that now. I gotta get that today. I gotta have those shoes. Well, just think about it. Uh, Eleven months ago. There were a lot of gotta haves, gotta have shoe, gotta have dress, gotta have pants, gotta have that shirt, gotta have that hat. And even if you had it now, you wouldn't have worn it. It's amazing how what we think is important at that time is not so important. And we've got to learn how to slow ourselves down and not be impatient with life or with things. Everything doesn't have to be done immediately. You've got to slow down. That leads us to the second era, and that's the era of looking for that which is instantaneous. That's the era of acting in the moment. I got to have it right now, instantaneously. You know, when I was growing up, um, mama used to make grits. You could take a long time for her to make those grits. She, those grits would be on the pot, and they'd be stirring and stirring and stirring and stirring. It'd take a long time. I made grits the other day. Don't think I cook. I really don't. My wife was very gracious and kind to me. Uh, but I made grits the other day. Took a little baggie, a little bag out, ripped it off, poured it in the bowl, put a little water up to the line mark on the little bag dropped it in the bowl, dropped it in the microwave for about 60, 70 seconds. All of a sudden I had grits. I want to tell you something. They were grits. They were good. Okay. But they still weren't like them old oh, hominy grits. They weren't them those those grits that take a little time that you got to, yo, you you know what I'm talking about. They weren't those, they were okay. They were grits. Now, some of you young people don't know about eating no grits, but 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 no, they, they were good. But they're not the same, and, and and it is because we live in a society of the now. The right this moment, that we're not used to being patient to wait on things to evolve or come to pass for us or to happen for us, and that's an error, that he has that you can correct. The instantaneous. Look! Look at verse thirty-one, verse thirty, verse verse thirty-two. Rather, it says, Esau said, "Look, I am about to die. If I do not eat soon, I'm about to die." He's so upset he wants it right now because I'm going to die. And the amplified version says, "If I don't eat soon." Error number three. And that's the era of indulgence. Indulgence. That's the act or practice of indulging gratification or desire. The act or practice of indulging gratification or desire. You got to be careful about indulging in many things. That... Going for gratification is not always as important as trying to live your best life. You know, some things might give you gratification. I don't know about you. Have you ever ordered a pair of shoes and you just, oh, my God, it's going to make me feel so good. I just got to have these particular shoes. And you got them and you looked at them and for a moment they made you feel good. And then you look, at, ah, Yeah. I, they're okay. Two weeks later, you step warm. Well, I'm waiting to put it with the right outfit. When you click the button to buy it on whatever website you're on, it was gratifying. When you first got it, it was gratifying. But was it necessary? We live our lives seeking that adrenaline rush of gratification. And it goes with number two, instantaneous gratification. In my mind, I say this. He says, verse 32 again, he says, I'm about to die if I do not eat soon. I said to myself, <clears throat> and thinking about this text, how far from his house could he have been if he was at his brother's place? How far from home could he have been if he was at his brother's place? He could have gone a few miles further or a few, even a few yards further and made it in. But the adrenaline, the thought in mind, the stress of being hungry, the stress of having been out on the long trip. I don't know, I've been hunting before. Maybe some of you don't know anything about hunting. And when you go hunting, you do, you do something, you bring. You bring your hunting gear, your hunting clothes, whatever you're going to use to, to, to take down the animal you're hunting after. You, you go out there, and you also bring something to eat. Generally, you bring something that has no little or no scent because you don't want to be out there and have whatever you're, you're trying to get uh, smell you or know you're around. And all the other thing is, if you're in a really dangerous environment, you don't want to have a scent that attracts something to you because instead of the hunted, you can become the prey. But you have something with you. And more than likely as a skilled hunter, he had only traveled so far, and he probably had something. But now all of a sudden, if I don't eat soon, I'm gonna die. How many times in your life have you actually thought, this is it, oh, is it, this is it. You know, so many of us got that red flock syndrome. That every time something goes on, we grab our heart and we think it's the big one. I'm coming. This is it. Slow down. The indulgence, be careful. And then number four. Number four. Error four. And this is a big one. Irreverence. Irreverence. Again in that verse. Here's what he says. This again is verse 32. He says, look, I'm about to die if I don't eat soon. So of of what use is this birthright to me? Now, what I haven't covered was the wickedness of his brother saying to him, I'll feed you if you sell me your birthright. I'll feed you if you sell me your birthright. I'm number two, you're number one. I will only feed you if you sell me your birthright. We're not really going to look at him too much tonight, so I don't want to mess around with it. other than to say, what a wicked brother. What a wicked brother. I could not see. Any one of my sisters. I only have sisters. I got three beautiful sisters. I couldn't see me going to any one of my sisters' houses and saying and saying, Your brother's hungry, and them saying, I'll give it to you if you do this. I don't even care if they were mad with me. They could be upset. They're gonna they're gonna feed their brother. He talking about I'll feed you if you okay. But Esau's response is even more telling about him, how he sees his birthright, he says, what use is this birthright to me? That is an irreverence for a sacred thing. He would have had to have been told. And if he wasn't told, it would have meant that he spent too much time out there hunting and not enough time reading and studying and learning about his past. He, he would have been told that the blessing of Abraham had been passed down. And if you read this chapter clearly, you see the genealogies there. The genealogies of Abraham passing down and the genealogy of Ishmael. And you see the genealogy of Isaac. So if the genealogy is there and it's been written here, it is a reminder to us that the legacy is being passed down and is being passed down as a historical thing. So they would have been told about it. They would have been shown here's the blessing of Abraham. God is going to use your seed and through your seed will all the nations be blessed. I will bless those that bless you. I will curse those that curse you. I, 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 listen, if if you know what this is, this blessing, and you really believe in the blessing and you really believe that, that this is going to be passed down to you as a legacy, there's no way you would be this irreverent. Let me back up that train and, and, and help you real quick. Sometimes we are irreverent about spiritual things. I I wish you can get a tight shot on this right here because I need to make this point. Sometimes we are irreverent about spiritual things. Sometimes we forget, that's what I'm talking about, that we forget that certain spiritual things are there that we ought to hold on to that we are not just give up our faith and our love of God because something good comes along. I don't care how good looking he is. I don't care how good looking she is. I don't care what they're offering you. You need to recognize there's some things you don't just give up for a good time. You don't just let go of it for a good time. You got to understand there's value to this thing. There's value to you. The value was in him. And it was going to be passed down to him as a legacy. And you've got to know when the blessing is yours, don't just give up your blessing for a pot of food. Don't let somebody talk you out of what you want for a good dinner. Don't let somebody talk you out of your blessing for for a good night on the town. No, 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 you are more than that. You are more than the indulgences of life. You are greater than that. You have to realize who you are and what you have. And you also have to know that somebody else wants what you have. And if you don't hold on to it, they'll surely take it from you. Irreverence. But error number five, error number five, is irresponsibility. Irresponsibility. He's reckless. He's reckless. Verse 33 says, Jacob said, swear an oath to me today that you are selling it to me for this food. So he swore an oath to him and sold him his birthright. You gonna sell your birthright? For food, for food, for food—it's not even a good steak. You talking about some reddish stew, some beans, some lentils? You for food metaphorically again? What have we given up foolishly? that God blessed us with for little or nothing. Just think about the last time you did the dumb thing. And he says, uh, that wasn't worth it. There are more things that we do that we look back at and say, uh, that wasn't worth it. And if we want to be able to live our faith in stressful times, we got to recognize we can't be irresponsible or reckless with what God's giving you. Hey, guess what? You are a gift. You are the gift. You are the gift. No, 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 not not the one in your hand. You are the gift. The, the, The person that wants to be in relationship with you, It wants to be in relationship with you, you're the gift. You're the blessing. And you can't just let yourself be reckless or irresponsible with your blessing. Okay, number six. Number six, and this is big, and that is indifference. Error number six, indifference. Stress can make you indifferent about important matters. It'll make you indifferent. the Living Bible captures this better than the Amplified. So let me switch over for a quick second to the Living Bible. And let me read verse 33 and 34 in the Living Bible. Jacob, well then, vow to God that it is mine. And Esau vowed, thereby selling his eldest son's right to his younger brother. Then Jacob gave Esau bread, peas, and stew. So he ate and drank and went on about his business, indifferent to the loss of the rights he had thrown away. You know, sometime in the moment, it seems like it ain't nothing. Until later on, you find out it was more than nothing. It was something. And it was a lot. You've got to make sure you never allow yourself to become indifferent to what's happening around you. Um, I want to give you an example of this that is sort of off from the text, but it's right on text. Um, The first Gulf War, one of the things that happened with the Kurdish people was the fact that an ambassador was asked, what is your role? What is the role of the United States where these people are concerned? And the ambassador misspoke. Don't wanna blame anybody, because that's, look, if, if, if a, devil, a devil wants to do something, the devil's gonna do it. But understand, they misspoke and said, the United States has no place in that. We really don't have no part about that. Not realizing that they were being teed up for an invasion for a foreign power. And what they were trying to do was to get permission to go in and ruin these people's lives. Let me tell you something. When you function in indifference, you release things into the atmosphere that you don't want. You, you have to go back, pause before you speak. Pause before you act. Make sure of what you're saying. Re- re-assess where you're at so that you do not function with indifference. Don't become so blase about blaséness that you become indifferent and lose what you should have. Indifferent. Okay. I know we've been at it for a minute. Number seven, number seven. And this is one that you got to recognize that's a big deal. And that's ineptitude. Ineptitude. Now, forgive me. Please forgive me. Ineptitude's big. So I need to go back and make this clear. The word ineptitude means having or showing no skill, incompetent. That's what it means. Having or showing no skill, incompetent. You see, he is deceived by the trickster. He's deceived by the supplanter. He's deceived by the heel grabber. The heel grabber has already understood what the birthright means. The heel grabber understands the power of the blessing. The heel grabber understood what would happen if he got the blessing. And now he is is in the clutches. This Esau is right there in the clutches of a trickster being tricked out of his birthright. Now, why is that important? Verse 31, Jacob says, first sell me your birthright. The rights of the firstborn. First sell me your birthright. He's being tricked. I want you to understand something. You have to realize in your life, you've got to develop your skills with people that you can see and understand the wickedness of others around you. The fact that folk will set you up. The fact that folk will ask leading questions. The fact that folk get your name put on it so they get their name taken off of it. The fact that folk will, look, don't be naive that people will not set you up. This is brother setting up brother to steal brother's birthright. This is mama setting up son to steal her other son's birthright. This is this is interfamily issues. And if it, and if it happens in the family, what do you think will happen in civil society? People are always trying to get the one-up. That's the one thing I hate about capitalism. In capitalism, somebody's got to win, somebody's got to lose. Everybody, you know, I need to make more so that you can make less. And I want to get the most out of you for the least amount of pay for it. And I get mad if I have to pay you for it because I want to get cheap, cheap, cheap. That's what happened in America. I know this is African-American History Month, so let me break it down. That's how America was founded on a cheap labor market. That's why Africans... were first brought to this nation to to fields of cotton and fields of, of, of tobacco because they were brought here as a cheap labor force upon which wealth could be built and managed because there are always people who are trying to use you and to take over and abuse you so that they can stand up on your backs. And what you have got to do is to keep educating yourself so that you will not be inept when you get into places of power and prestige, and then you discover that the devil is the devil and the enemy is gonna act like the enemy and capitalists are gonna always try and take over and push down the poor people and the bourgeoisie will always push down the proletariat. You've gotta get your mind to a place where you're expanding so that you cannot be taken advantage of. It takes away your stress. When you know how to deal with the world that's dealing with you. Okay, I'm almost out of time, y'all. If I had eight, if I had one more, I would throw it at you. Uh, But this is not an error. This is an outcome. So it's not eight. The outcome of his errors is that he became irrelevant. Now, that's cold-blooded. Still had to say it. The outcome of his era is that he became irrelevant. What do you mean? Text says that he scorned his birthright. From that moment on, he was still going to be a great nation because he was still in the line of Abraham. He was still going to be one of uh, uh, grow up and have power and prestige in some sort, but he would never again be able to hold the birthright. Because this is just the beginning of the trick. This is the beginning to get him to submit so that the secondary trick that must happen is to get the father to follow through and pass the birthright on. And what makes the birthright legal later is that it had been sold here. Even if he had tricked the father later without this happening, he could not have legally had the birthright. He submits himself to being fooled, and his outcome is he becomes irrelevant. Well, that's all fine and good. I know I got to close. My time is almost up. So so what do I do when I'm dealing with a lot of stress and I got a lot of stuff going on? And Bishop, you're giving me seven things to think about I don't want to be irrelevant. I don't want my life to be irrelevant. So what do I do when I'm when I'm stressed out and I've got decisions to make, I've got things to do, I've got, I've got job appointments, got stuff over here and stuff over there, and I'm feeling overwhelmed? You asked the right question. And I want to suggest to you, and, and I only have time to get to this first thing, I want to suggest to you, you learn how to prioritize your life. You learn how to prioritize your life. And to prioritize your life and to bring it under subjection to where you're managing your life and your life is not managing you, where the proverbial tail of life is not wagging the dog, you've got to learn to do three things. And these are not mine. These are these are actually uh, Stein's uh, right here. And Stein gives you three things. And it's interesting to me. He tells you to learn how to do, delegate, and delay. So you prioritize your life by learning how to do, how to delegate, and how to delay. That's important. I think it's got um, it's got some good Bible with it. There's certain things that I have to do. And so to get those three things broken down, as I close in these last few minutes that I have, let me give them to you. Do is this. Do what needs to be done. Do what needs to be done. There are some things in life that you have to do. And some things in your life you have to take care of. I I used to to say to uh, my former administrator, there are some things that you can do that I can't do and some things I can do that you can't do. And if I'm doing something that you can do, means I'm not doing something that only I can do. And I need to do what I must do, what I can do. What we have to do is to get to the place where you do what needs to be done. Now, I can't pick that up for you. I don't know what those things are in your life right now. But I do know that if you pray, God will show you those things. And if you slow yourself down long enough, you'll see which things ought to be prioritized, which things could be put back. You know, um, every, every place I know, every school, university, um, every business has what they call uh, deferred maintenance. So they have buildings that are not necessarily completely Uh, refurbished the way they would like to be. They got things that need to be done but are not done. And the reason they have deferred maintenance is that anything that needed to be done immediately, they do it. Anything that can wait, they put it off. And sometimes you got to learn not to worry about stuff that you need to put off. Just know you put it off and go back to it. Do what needs to be done First, don't let the other stuff cloud your mind or other stuff make you crazy and make you lose your senses. Understand the power of deferment. Understand the power of putting off those things that don't need to be done immediately. The other day, delegate. Delegate. And that is delegate what can be done by someone else. Delegate. What can be done by someone else? Some things I don't have to do. Someone else can do that. And I need to be able to delegate it and say, okay, that one I don't have to do today. This person here has got that one. I don't have to take care of that. I was responding to some, some queries and questions that came in. And I said, oh, oh, that, let me make sure I get that to the chairman over there. Let me make sure I pass that to the deacon chair. Let me make sure I pass that to the trustee chair. Because that's their responsibility, that's their role within ministry. and look if i'm if I'm doing that what they're supposed to do, number one, I'm out of order, but number two, I'm also over committing myself to something that someone else has a better grasp on. So you delegate what can be done by someone else. Let that go. And then number three, and this goes back to something I was saying under the do, delay what can be put off. Delay what can be put off. Well, I know I've been going on for a while. This has been a great time, y'all. There's some stuff that can be put off. You put off until you can get back to it, and you get back to it and you do what you have to do. How am I going to live a stress-free life? I'm going to learn how to understand myself with a greater self-awareness. So that I, as I understand myself with that self-awareness, I do a better job managing me, self-management. I get a good, clear understanding of social awareness, what's going on around me. I learn how to manage my relationships to the point that all of a sudden, because I've developed my own intellectual capacity, my own emotional intelligence, I'm not as stressed because I'm doing what needs to be done. And I recognize what can be delegated. And I recognize what can be delayed. This is the word of God for the people of God. I wanna say thanks be to God. I pray you've gotten somebody's lesson tonight. This has been a great time. I'm excited about it. I'm excited to be coming to you tonight, excited for what God is doing in our ministry and in our midst. This has been a blessing. I want to ask you to please join with me tonight in giving tonight by Giveify Cash App or by mailing in. Again, don't forget, put on your envelope tonight. It's Tuesday, so make sure you put on their benevolence.